Yeah, Rue McCall, and she was hot. <laughs> you know, she she, she kind of was. She was hot. She was hot. Yeah. Lance was hot. Yeah, uh, she I was mean, a minx. She was a look, sexy minx. Look, so it's 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 one of those relative things. I don't want to. Uh, there are all sorts of ways I can say the wrong thing here and, and sure. get in trouble. But let's just say she surrounded herself with three other women, who by proxy made her look that much more hot. Right. Yes, she was Saturday night, eight p.m. hot. <laughs> As was Richard Mulligan. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't that 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 roll of the tongue didn't quite come out the way I wanted it to. Yeah, uh, but the I, joke still kind of landed. Yeah, it landed, yeah. But no, yeah. the, the roll was uh, it was not great. No, not a great roll. <laughs> no, not Sorry. a great roll. Should I try again? Go for it. Uh, no, oh, I, I I'd don't. Like it, I'd like you to stop now. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I just don't have the right amount of uh, phlegm in my throat at the moment, unfortunately. I, as I said, I, I I'm gonna repeat. I'm gonna just gonna ask you to stop. <laughs> All right, fine. I won't try a third time. <laughs> But, uh, and I don't need to hear. I don't need to hear the relative amount of phlegm that's currently rolling around your throat. Either. Fail, fail to roll my throat successfully three times. Shame on me. I think that's how the uh, the old saying goes. One thousand percent. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, US Bets Senior Analyst Jeff Edelstein. This week on Gamble On, we'll discuss the fact that Roger Goodell clearly listens to our podcast and is adjusting the NFL's player gambling rules according to our suggestions. We'll cover big sports betting and fantasy news out of New York. And we'll talk about the tiny bit we now know about what ESPN bet is going to look like. Plus, presumably at some point during the show, I'll anger Jeff by reminding him my single bullet best ball entry is well on its way to winning me a million dollars. Yeah, I don't want to hear about it. Um, We're also going to be welcoming Establish the Run's Drew Dinkmeyer to talk about saving the world while I stupidly pepper him with DFS questions. But first, Eric, as always, plenty of news to discuss. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Everybody knows what the Friday news dump is, a spot to bury bad news as everyone is ready to check out and start the weekend. Well, the NFL hit us with a news dump at about 3.30 Eastern last Friday. But it wasn't bad news at all. It was actually very welcome, very sensible news. The league has updated its rules on players making sports bets, and the new rules are as follows. Bet on the NFL, get a suspension of at least one year. Bet on your own team's games, get a suspension of at least two years. Bet on non-NFL games while at a team facility, get a suspension for two games on the first offense, six games on the second offense, and a full year on the third offense. In light of that last rule... Lions receiver Jamison Williams and Titans offensive lineman Nicholas Petit-Frere were immediately reinstated two weeks ahead of schedule. There are other new rules, a lifetime ban for attempted game fixing, a one-year ban for sharing inside information, a one-year ban for third-party or proxy betting. Basically, Jeff, this looks identical to what you and I have been calling for. Go easier on the ticky-tack offenses like betting on another sport while in a team hotel. Go hard on the stuff that is actually an obvious no-no. So, Jeff, uh, does Gamble On get the credit for this? And uh, more seriously, what's your level of surprise that the NFL was willing to change its rules to better align with common sense? You know, I'm not all that surprised. I mean, the rules clearly needed, you know, a, a spit shine. So, you know, good for them. Uh, the rules are starting to make more sense. You know, this whole, like, betting while at the team facility thing seems a little, like, a little much to me. Um, I think the NFL still has like the dumbest rule going with the no sports betting, you know, on any sport for anyone who's employed by the right. teams or the league. That that's just craziness. But I assume they'll get around to that at some point. But you know, I'll tell you the, the more I think about it, I, I, you know, a lot has been made about these NFL gambling suspensions. I think the NFL, being the monster that it is, is smart enough to go hard at this, you know, and to really try to nip any of this in the bud. I think when the scandal eventually happens in sports, and I'm sure there will be because, like, you know, we're humans. I don't think it's going to come from the NFL. 
You know, it's going to come from a sport that's not taking this as seriously, I think. That's a good point that that, that they're. So I was going to say that I was a little surprised to see them make this change midstream, midseason, rather than waiting till the offseason to admit basically that their rules kind of sucked and their current punishments weren't quite right. But that's a good point that they are they would make this kind of change midstream because they are determined to discourage this sort of behavior and prevent the major scandal from happening in the NFL. If that's kind of their thinking is, is that we really need to attack this now. Let's not wait until the end of the season to say that betting on your own team is a two year suspension going forward. And that, um, Attempted game fixing is a lifetime ban, which probably ought to be obvious without them even saying it. But um, that would appear to be behind their decision to make this switch now and announce these rules, you know, randomly heading into week four instead of uh, just letting the season play out and and then doing it. I bet that's uh, key to them deciding because otherwise it's a very non NFL thing to do to admit you know, our, our current punishments weren't quite right and, and we're going to improve them. Typically, they seem to dig their heels in and and, uh, and act like everything they're doing is correct. Listen, all I know is, I, 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 I'm again, as I said, I think I'm starting to come around to the idea that they are taking, I, I want to see all these leagues take a very proactive approach. When's the last time you heard anything out of the NHL or Major League Baseball or NBA about like what they're doing with their, you know, to make sure that the games stay like on the up and up, you know? Yeah, yeah, the NFL has definitely been been more aggressive. The and the NFL has had more news on this front, but I guess yeah, they're trying to pre- make this most recent wave the last the last, the last major wave. Um, I but the just to to get back to the betting from a team facility thing that that you and I have been against that rule all along. I will note that Brianne Dora Shawal, when she was on, she made a good case for it uh, that it's engaging in gambling while on the clock, essentially, which thankfully is not against the rules at our company. Uh, But uh, I can see her case, even if I don't totally agree with it. And a two-game suspension now for the first offense. That's fair. Um, Actually, a a two-game suspension is probably welcomed for a lot of NFL players to heal up from injuries. (laughs) Every player could use a couple of weeks off at some point in the season. Uh, But speaking of healing up from injuries... Did you know, Jeff, that uh, I'm in first place out of 12 teams in best ball, and now we're going to get Cooper Cup back? He fell to the 25th pick where we snagged him. We have Justin Jefferson and Cooper Cup. How should I spend my million dollars, Jeff? It's $3 million. But, um, not not, not the one I'm in. This is the DraftKings draft one. Games. Yeah, it's a million up top. So you got well, All right. I'm not going to ask about your team. <laughs> you, know, you, you know you want to. Nope. Don't want to. <laughs> clearly, I my draft took place just before the season. If Cooper Cup fell all the way That's to good. 25th, That's good. but yep, it worked Cup. out for me. I got Cup and Jefferson. Who? Who else? Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'll, I'll meet it out slowly. I'll tell you, my first right. three picks were Jefferson at the one, and then yeah. at the 24-25 turn, Josh Allen and Cooper Cup. So eh. more to come next week. I'll let you know who I took in the fourth and fifth rounds. See, I'm at the edge of my seat. <laughs> How many best ball teams do you have total across all sites? Uh, approximately. Approx- uh, approximately 250, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Like all right. My, it's a shame. I'm in first place in a few of them also. Wait, I mean, as, I, as you should be by the law right. of averages. But you only have the one. So right. yeah. I also, I accidentally drafted 10 major league playoff best ball teams. The other day. <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> Interesting. You know, I was curious how that was. Cause I was discussing that with, uh, with my son as we were watching a game that, uh, that we didn't do a MLB playoff best ball. Cause it didn't really cross my mind until it was too late, but do they, I was wondering, did they? So they did it before the wild card games, but yeah. So the wild card and the divisional round are are the are one thing. Okay. So so, so there is that tricky there. balance of trying yeah. to figure out teams that don't play in the wild card and teams that do. Because I was thinking, it, you know, there there would be a more straightforward uh, approach if they waited till after the wild card games to right. to do the drafts. But uh, yeah. all right, well, good luck with those. Thanks. Um, Moving on. It was a bit of a good news, bad news Tuesday afternoon for you, Jeff. Uh, The bad news, you were assigned to sit through a commission meeting. 
the good news, it wasn't the Massachusetts Gaming Commission. Uh, rather, it was the New York State Gaming Commission, and it was actually an eventful meeting. The main headlines, the license transfer from PointsBet to Fanatics has been approved, so officially we can say there will be a Fanatics sportsbook in New York. The commission adopted new rules that would ban Pick'em style fantasy contests, which is trouble for the likes of Prize Picks and Underdog. And Gaming Commission Chair Brian O'Dwyer had harsh words for DraftKings over the operator's never forget parlay on 9-11, calling it disgusting. Jeff, uh, tell us more about what you saw and heard from the New York Commission on Tuesday. All right. You're going to laugh. You're going to think this is a bit. It's not. Okay. I want to be perfectly clear. And just for listeners of, of this of, of this podcast, I want you to know that Eric is my direct supervisor. Mm-hmm. Yes? Yes, this is true. I will happily take a pay cut to never have to sit through a government <laughs> meeting again. Not joking. Mm. I'm not joking. I will take a pay cut to never have to sit through a government meeting again. Okay? Run it up the flagpole, see what they say. <laughs> but, but yes, I did cover this meeting. Thankfully, the New York Gaming Commission... Uh, is uh, we were in and out in about less than two hours, which mm-hmm. which is introductions at the Massachusetts game. <laughs> right. Um, but yes, fanatics will be coming to New York at some unspecified time. Obviously, there's going to be you know regulatory things that they got to jump through. But so they're coming. Um, the chair, O'Dwyer, he got to grandstand a bit on this 9/11 thing. All right, we we all know DraftKings knows not to do it again. Blah blah blah. As for the pick'em rules. You know, just like everything else surrounding Pick'em Fantasy right now, you know, th- this is like weird, right? The the I want to read to you a little bit that I noted at, I, I noticed afterwards. Mm. This is from the regulatory you know, language. Contests in which a contestant much must choose directly or indirectly whether an individual athlete will surpass an identified statistical achievement are prohibited. Uh, all right, well, are fantasy points considered a statistical achievement? Right. And mm. this surpass language. So can I can we are the, is it legal if we just say we're going under? You know what I mean? I, I, right. I don't right. I, I, I don't think we're done yet in New York is basically what I'm saying. I think there's room for negotiation here. Yeah. And, you know, it's the, that specific wording, like when you play DFS, the points accumulated are not about surpassing a number, except DraftKings gives out bonus points if you hit 300 yards. Is that right. surpassing something? So, yeah, it's all there's so much gray area in this, um, but it, it's it's not looking great for these pick'em sites. There was also some movement this week in Michigan towards shutting those games down. It, it's it's adding up the number of states that are proceeding with rules to ban these games. Uh, I, I guess what I'm curious to see is whether eventually Prize Picks, Underdog, etc., will say in some states. Okay, if you're saying we're sports betting, then we'll pay for a sports betting license and operate that way. Now, of course, there are states like New York where there are no licenses left to be had. Right. Not well, underdog, the... underdog ha- is licensed to do that in two states that I can't think of off the top of my head, but they right. have licenses to be a sports betting company. At right. At least but, in two states. But they weren't. But they're not but, offering it yet. Right. And the the Pick'em games are not taxed and licensed that way, even in right. those states. But yeah, they're in position to potentially do that. Um, but. I, I mean, for now, I guess these pick'em companies are going to suck it up as long as California isn't giving them a hard time. You know, I mean, they obviously do not want to lose New York, Michigan, Florida, you know, not to mention Ohio, Wyoming, etc. But California population wise is equal to like the 20 smallest states combined. I would think these companies aren't going to turn around and say, OK, yep, we're sports betting as long as California is letting them proceed unfettered as not sports betting. Yeah, and Texas as well. Right, right. Yeah, two those two those two big ones. But I don't know the other, now the other two big ones, the next two biggest Florida right. and New York are focusing on them. As far as um the the other stuff in the New York meeting, um I guess Fanatics is the biggest news in a way. There's just not as much to say about it because it was a foregone conclusion, but it'll be interesting to see whether once the changeover is complete, whether Fanatic Sportsbook does significantly better in the state than PointsBet did. Um, PointsBet, I looked up the the rankings. PointsBet was running sixth in handle and revenue ahead of Win Resorts World and BallyBet, just behind Bet Rivers, and then way behind FanDuel, DraftKings, Caesars, and BetMGM. Even a move from sixth to fifth in the first couple of months after the changeover would be a positive indication, I'd say. And and I do predict that move will occur. I would have to assume Fanatics is going to move ahead of Bet Rivers once they get going. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, our third story takes us to a meeting of your favorite commission, Jeff, the Massachusetts Gaming Commission, uh, but we'll ignore what the regulators had to say and instead explore the content of one company's presentation. Representatives of Penn Entertainment offered minor revelations about ESPN Bet. The launch is expected in November, though they wouldn't give a specific date. There will be no changes from the previous Barstool Sportsbook tech stack, except to apparently enhance the capability to handle increased traffic. ESPN won't be involved in the actual sportsbook operations. The pen management structure will remain intact, and the changes to the mobile book will be strictly, quote, cosmetic. It's not a ton of information, but every little bit matters with a story as huge as the launch of an ESPN-branded sportsbook. So, Jeff, any takeaways here? And any disappointment that ESPN and Penn are apparently content not to try to innovate with the sportsbook? Yeah, you know, I'm starting to think, and I've this is based on nothing, to be clear, uh, that ESPN, yeah, well, you know, let, let Disney, right, sure. is is taking baby steps with this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let's not forget this is a, this ten year deal. They're getting like one point five billion. ESPN's getting one point five billion from Penn over the ten years for this licensing deal. Disney's profit for the twelve months ending in June was uh, twenty nine billion dollars. So mm-hmm. we're we're talking half a percentage point here, right, right, per year, which is not nothing, but it's also not not nothing, right? You know, this this is Penn's game. And ESPN's kind of riding shotgun here. That's mm-hmm. what it appears, right? I clearly, clearly, Penn believes that the name alone, and, right, and and the marketing behind it is going to bring people to the book. I, I will say, I, it just, I, I think, in the end, I think ESPN just might be selling its name, and that's it, you know. But I, I, I don't know. I, nobody knows what's going to happen. We're a month out. I just published a story today about questions we have about this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, the, the fact that there's so little news about it just is starting to make me believe that there's not going to be a lot of news about it. Right. That's going to be ESPN bet and you'll hear about it and they'll mention it. And but I don't know. It, it's not it doesn't seem like they're putting, you know, their full Mickey Mouse weight behind it. Right. Yeah, uh, agreed. And I very much enjoyed your piece on Sports Handle, by the way, about those five big questions we have surrounding ESPN Bet. Everyone should check that out. And But yeah, that's that's where we are with this. Lots of questions, not a lot of answers. And sort of echoing some of what you were just saying, I have mild concerns that you know ESPN doesn't own the sports book. ESPN may not be 100% totally invested in its success the way Penn is. I wonder whether ESPN itself will, will stop short of pushing ESPN bet with all of its marketing might. And look, I'm sure under Penn, the app itself will be fine. The sports book will be fine. I, I don't recall a lot of negative reviews for Barstool Sportsbook other than, you know, some backlash to the, the can't lose parlay language and stuff like that. It was basically as serviceable as any other mobile sports book. So I'm sure ESPN bet will be serviceable as well. But I guess there was hope it would be something different and hearing that it'll be Barstool Sportsbook with cosmetic changes. It's not exciting, uh, but no, it's not exciting. But there, there's also there is just like we are in a valley of not knowing right now what's true, happen, you know, and true. like I it, it would would it surprise me if in three years ESPN like pulls out of this deal? Nope. Right. Would it surprise me if in three years we're talking about the big three? Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of just the big two. No, that wouldn't surprise me either. You yeah. know, I, 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 I think anyone who thinks they know what's going to happen here ain't don't know nothing. Uh, <laughs> if you if you look in the story that I wrote, I, I linked back to a story that we wrote on Sports Handle mm-hmm. right before or right after PASPA, where we kind of ranked like who's going to be the big winners here, who's going to be you know what sports books are going to rise to the top, and DraftKings and FanDuel were at the very bottom of right. the list. Nobody thought that they were going to be the you know. The, the the key headliners here. Right. So ESPN's a pretty big name, you know. I mean, I, listen, nothing's going to surprise me here. Right, and 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 I'll say as far as them not really doing anything exciting with the app, their ability to earn market share early on has nothing to do with the app itself, and and right. has everything to do with the marketing and just you know what sign up bonuses they offer and how much promo money they're giving away. Well, I'll I'll be curious to see how hard they go on that sort of stuff to try to attract those customers who've been with DraftKings and FanDuel for a while now and aren't getting any exciting bonuses out of them and want to come over and and get some new bonuses to give ESPN better try. Um, I will go ahead now and make a fairly obvious prediction about when this will actually launch. Um, Mm -hmm. I looked at the NFL schedule and 
I was thinking initially, well, they want to be launched by Thanksgiving for the big Thanksgiving Day football games. But none of those are on ESPN or ABC. Mm. So then I looked at the Monday night football schedule. Mm. You know who's playing on Monday, November 20th, the Saturday before Thanksgiving? It is Eagles at Chiefs Super Bowl rematch, hopefully mm. with different refs. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to say minus 1,000 this sportsbook app is launched before that football weekend begins. All right. Sounds about right. I like it. It's a good bet. All right. Put it in, let's put it in the bankroll. <laughs> yes. Put the whole bankroll on it. Yeah. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. We now welcome to the podcast a DFS pro who has a million-dollar win on his resume, but who also recognizes there are much more important issues in the world than trying to decide which punt tight end to play in cash. Drew Dinkmeyer is the head of NBA for Establish the Run and the driving force behind the annual Welly Maker charity drive. Drew, welcome to Gamble On. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with the the Welly Maker. Tell us everything we need to know about it. You know, how did it start? How much money have you raised? And and what can people who are listening right now do to help? Yeah, thank you for the platform. So I first heard about Charity Water listening to the Bill Simmons podcast about eight or nine years ago. And the founder of Charity Water, Scott Harrison, was on the podcast, gave an extremely compelling interview about kind of the challenges around the world in areas that don't have access to clean, sustainable drinking water and how he was trying to change that uh, through Charity Water. It's an organization that gives 100% of the donations directly to water projects. They are actually funded fully by outside donors that know their donations are just going to the operations of the organization. So every dollar you give, including if you pay for a credit card, it is refunded the credit card fee. They pay for it from the organization. Um, and, the, and the dollars are going directly to water projects around the world. There's just so many areas in the world, you know, thankfully in the US, we're not dealing with this to the same extent, but there's so many areas of the world that mostly women are traveling hours a day to dirty drinking water that we wouldn't we wouldn't even consider viable drinking water. And they're collecting that water and then bringing it back to their uh, rural area and using it for uh, cleaning, for uh, cooking, for bathing. And it's it's it leads to a lot of early death. For children, especially, it leads to a lot of women being out of school and uneducated simply because they're the ones who are tasked with going and getting the water. Um, and it just it leads to uh, a really challenging quality of life. So it was a really inspiring interview to me. It really made me want to make an impact. And at the ground level, I think foundationally, every human being should have access to clean drinking water. It's an essential need for our bodies. And um, and so I decided to partner with this organization uh, to raise funds and raise awareness for uh, clean water around the world. And and so what can people do to contribute? And is it a specific like time frame that, that your charity drive is open for each year? Yeah. So we run the Welly Maker during football season, largely the the start of week one of the NFL season. And we run through the calendar year, the calendar year because of accounting purposes with charities and whatnot. So the drive will will last through December 31st. We're matching the first $40,000 in donations dollar for dollar. So you'll get two times the impact if you decide uh, to give. You can find information on uh, more information on the project and um, and the Welly Maker in, in told. Uh, it's a pin tweet on my Twitter at Drew Dinkmeyer or X, I guess, these days. Um, or you can find it uh, at charitywater.org slash Drew dash Dinkmeyer. Uh, there's a page that that you can contribute there as well and learn more about the campaign. This is our seventh year doing the campaign. We've raised over $600,000 for clean water. Um, and, we, you know, we've had one of the great things about Charity Water is they they follow up and give you information exactly where your donation went. So you get the GPS coordinates, you get pictures of the wells that, that were put in, um, and you get constant communication on on the impact that you've made, not constant communication, asking for more dollars, constant communication on the impact that you've made, which I think is just really, really powerful and really empowers people to want to continue to give when they feel like they know the impact that they've made. 
All right. So Eric gets to ask you about saving the world. I'll be the <laughs> asshole that asks you about daily fantasy. Um, but before before I do, I just I, let me a, a sub question here. What's it like to actually be an honored guest here on, on a podcast? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 wonderful when it's not a bit. Uh, so on our on our on our DFS show, establish the million and establish the run. Uh, we've had an ongoing bit uh, that Mike Leone, the host of the show, uh, has introduced me as an honored guest, despite me being the co-host for the show uh, for over two years now uh and i think i've missed one episode and the one episode i missed has led to this honored guest bit well that's nice i mean it i it could be worse i suppose right it could be a worse bit for sure but uh so you're coming off another big win uh in dfs you've been you've you've been at it pretty much since day one i I think if if i'm not mistaken what what do you see as the biggest changes um to the landscape you know and try basically you know in, in trying to like beat beat the crowd yeah, so I have been at it since day one. I've been playing for over 10 years now. Um, we're going on like 13, 14 years of playing DFS, which I know for some people, they might not even realize it was in existence that long. The changes from that point are just immense. I mean, the original work that I was doing in terms of trying to figure out which players to play and do projections and stuff was very basic stuff in Excel and like using points per game and projected minutes and things like that in basketball to try to figure out things or projected targets in football. Now, I literally we have a team of data scientists using um, using machine learning modeling and other methods to try to improve projections, um, simulation based projections and all these different things. There's just so many more tools It's so much more analytical the game is now than it was when I was first playing. And as the game continues to evolve, you have to you know keep up with the evolution and make sure that you're understanding how to use these tools and how to compete with other people that are using the tools. And then also sort of understand the limitations of the tools and where there might be advantages for players uh, to sort of use their own intuition um, or their own cognitive skills to overcome some biases that might be uh, leading people astray at times who aren't fully understanding what the tools are, are, are giving them. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, Eric gets tired of me bringing this up every time I have a DFS guy on. But you know, the the, the Sims seem to really that that seems to be the the hot topic, uh, especially this year. Uh, I I haven't dove in to them mostly because I don't necessarily under. I've heard too many people saying how hard they are to understand. I'm afraid <laughs> yeah. it's going to completely screw up like my you know my the, the my current you know the thing here. But I mean, it, it, to it, to a lay person, what's so different? about this is it basically taking into account what we think others are going to be doing yes so uh simulations are simulating a few things when you talk about simulations you could be talking about simulating the play in each game um so let's say the jets are playing the giants you would simulate the kickoff and then you would simulate the first down and then you'd run that simulation like 10,000 times so you get 10,000 iterations of how that game plays out 10,000 different box scores so on and so forth that's what most people think of when they think of simulations and that's certainly a part of uh developing projections that are based around simulations but what's happening in the DFS world that people are talking about with simulations is people are simulating the contest that you're playing in so if you are playing the millimaker maker um, on on DraftKings as an example, the simulation would simulate a field of lineups that you're competing against based on ownership projections for that contest and based on how often players are correlated, quarterbacks and wide receivers or quarterbacks and tight ends, generally based on historically how often individual quarterbacks are correlated. So for example, Justin Herbert might be more correlated with Keenan Allen than Patrick Mahomes would be with Marquez Valdez-Scantling and different things like that. So you're you you, you are com- you're simulating the field that you're competing against, and then you're choosing lineups that you are running against that field to see how well you would do. Now, the biases in these are that the lineups that you choose, if they are from a provider that has good projections on those players, they're naturally going to look better than the players you choose that have poor projections uh, because the sim is just using the projections that the provider has. So if you have disagreements with the projections, if you feel things are differently, you might not necessarily be able to get that feeling into the simulation. So I use it to like test things for me. Um, I If I want to decide I'm going to stack Justin Herbert on a given week, I might run 150 lineups through the simulated field of Justin Herbert with stacked with one player, Justin Herbert stacked with two players, Justin Herbert stacked with two players in a bring back. And I might compare the ROIs, the project, the sim ROI of those uh, different iterations. And then that helps lead me to a decision on which combination is the best to play in the field. And so it might say that, okay, this week it looks like Justin Herbert doubles 
uh, double stacks, meaning with Keenan Allen and Josh Palmer, are better than Justin Herbert's singles with just one of those two players. Or it might show me that Justin Herbert stacked, if I'm going to double stack him, I should have Keenan Allen because Keenan Allen comes up the most in the highest ROI lineups as opposed to having a double stack with like Donald Parham and Josh Palmer. Because most likely when Justin Herbert's going off, Keenan Allen is the one that's capturing the majority of that. Um, and so it's it's really interesting stuff to be able to have comparative understanding of how a decision that you're making in your lineup can improve the lineup as a whole. But I think where people might be mistaking themselves is under uh, is thinking that just the highest ROI lineup in the sim is necessarily the best lineup you can play because that's going to be biased towards the projections of the provider that you're using the simulation on. Honestly, it reminds me so it reminds me of the scene in The Princess Bride with the poison. <laughs> yeah. it's, going back. it's a lot like that and, and if, if anyone wants to know what the exact opposite of putting that sort of intense effort and research into building your dfs <laughs> lineups looks like it's me making five three dollar gpp lineups a week on my toilet on sunday morning so the, there's there's got to be something in between the two extremes i guess um Obviously, uh, it's football season, and, and that's what's on most people's minds. But, uh, Drew, you're the head of NBA at Establish the Run, and NBA season is closing in. So I want to ask you a question uh, about that, especially with the NBA stealing some headlines from the NFL this past week. Um, sports betting question more so than DFS. Uh, Milwaukee is at plus 400 to win the title now. Boston's at plus 450. Neither of those seem like great prices to me. But yeah. if you had to bet one or the other at those prices which team do you like more after the, the Lillard trade and then the holiday trade? Yeah, right now. So I think the rosters are still going to continue to shape as we saw kind of after Phoenix acquired Bradley Beal, everyone was panicking about their depth and different issues. And then they've continued to add pieces to their roster. I, I assume Philadelphia, uh, excuse me, Milwaukee and Boston will continue to do those things during the course. So the rosters will change, but as, as the rosters stand right now, I think I'd take Boston before I take Milwaukee. Uh, they're a little bit deeper it's a it's their front court is concerning when you're relying entirely on 37 year old Al Horford and Chris Porzingis, who's had a lot of trouble staying healthy during his career. That's concerning, but their their key talent, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are still in the, the the primes of their careers. Giannis is still in the prime of his career. Dame had his best season ever, so it's hard to say that he's on the downswing of his career, but he is in his mid thirties. And I think I would take if I had to make a bet on who would win the championship. I think Boston is a safer bet to have home court advantage going into that playoff series. Um, but ultimately, if we got to that playoff series and both teams were fully healthy and Milwaukee had home court advantage, I take Milwaukee. It's I think the two are very, very close in overall value. I agree that the you know 450s, 400s, 480s are not particularly great prices. That market is generally a pretty tough one. Um, there's a lot of hold in it. It's 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 you know a long buy a long payout situation in terms of sweating it. Um, so it's not a market that I participate in very much. Um, but I will say this: I think the new collective bargaining agreement generally in the NBA is going to make what we are looking at with Phoenix with Milwaukee, with Boston, with Denver, even to some extent, more of the reality where they're no longer the combination of being great, having great depth and having great top end talent. It's just impossible to do with the new collective bargaining agreement without paying heavy penalties down, down the road. And so you're going to see a lot of teams that have really great top end talent, but you're looking at like seven through 10 on the roster and you're wondering how are they going to work their way through a playoff series uh, when that depth is tested, or you're going to see teams like the Knicks and the Cavs who have really, really good depth, but might not have that super high end type talent. And you're thinking, okay, I can see how this team can get through a regular season and be very, very successful, but come playoff time, how are they going to match up with the top end talent of these teams? And I think it's going to be really fun for fans because I think we're going to go into more years not having a clear cut idea of who's going to make it to the finals each and every year, simply because that depth can get tested with injuries and different things during the playoffs. Um, and that high end talent usually tends to win out when it's paired with the right depth. And I think it's going to be harder to do those things going forward. Yeah, it it does seem like even even in the last couple of years leading up to this, that the it's gotten a little less obvious before the season who the top two or three teams are going to end up being. There was a period there where you kind of knew it was going to be Golden State making yep. the finals almost every year and you knew it, it, it was a little more straightforward. And now it seems like whichever team has been favored at this time of year, the top two or three, they may not make it out of like the second round of the playoffs. Yeah. And I think this will be a much uh, a much better. I, I, it's hard to say because the NBA finals ratings are always great when it's like LeBron versus the dynasty team. So from that ratings perspective, but I think in terms of 
you know, all fan bases feeling like there's a legitimate shot going into the season. I think this will better be better for touching a, a wider breadth of developing like hardcore fans, not fans that just show up for the NBA finals each and every year. Going back to DFS for a second, you know, I, I you, you look at the landscape today and there are probably hundreds of people making a living playing DFS, right? And the the, the from roto grinders to establish the run, there's dozens, again, if not hundreds of people making a living uh, you know, analyzing this stuff, you know, um, and, you know, if you if you I think if you look back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you would be like, there's no way that this, that this could support it. <laughs> and like, in, so in your case, for instance, like, you know, you were you were you started at, you know, at ground zero on the ground floor. Are we saturated? Like, do you think it's still possible for today's Drew Dinkmeyer, you know, the 25 year old Ivy League grad coming out, going to Wall Street? Is it still possible, you think, to make DFS analysts and playing can he still make it as a living now? Or is he, do you think the ship has sailed and we're at the saturation point when it comes to this? Yeah, I would never say never in terms of uh, in terms of the opportunity. Certainly, I, I think you can take like poker as a really good example to compare with DFS. You know, poker has become a much more efficient game over the years, but there's still plenty of people in poker, both playing professionally and making businesses from a content perspective. But the percentage of people that are trying to do those things is probably smaller uh, than in the early days of poker. And as you alluded to at the very, the very start of this, I mean, I was doing all this stuff on the side while working in finance and I didn't think there was a path to working in the thing that I loved most, which was these games and these contests uh, to be, to make that my living. And it kind of developed over time as the market got big enough. So you need the market to be big enough to support the interest to do that. But then when the market does get more saturated, it's a more difficult path to kind of make make your way. I still think, you know, in this day and age, there's there's always going to be an opportunity uh, for really good content creators, really creative, engaging personalities to to make way in in any industry because people just love love consuming content, love entertaining personalities that they feel like they can relate to. Um, and connect with those people in any industry, I think have a chance to make it the people who are trying to play the games professionally and trying to do it all kind of behind the scenes. I think it's more and more challenging as the games get more and more efficient to do so. You're going to have to find kind of your own niche sports that aren't covered as highly to kind of build up a bankroll. Once you build up a bankroll, then you're going to have to find kind of the correct game selection to, to be able to attack. Um, and then you're going to have to run real good in in these large field tournaments because that's really ultimately what it is like i you know i just had a great weekend a few weekends ago i hadn't had one of those weekends in a few years and i look at my underlying metrics on my play and it's exactly the same and the difference is i finished fifth instead of first and it's like a touchdown by one guy here or there is the difference between having a great year and having down years and so it's just it's a it's the way the prize pool structures are it's a highly variant game and that can be really challenging. It can also trick people into thinking that they can be professionals at this because they've been on the right side of variance. And then it can be kind of a, a challenging uh, come to reality over over a few years when the variance is not on their side. So it's a it's a very difficult thing to do. It's also uh, something that I think most people don't think about is it's a very isolating profession to do. Um, all of the work that is done around these things are on weekends and at nights. That's usually when you're able to spend time with friends and family. And so if you are really passionate about this, certainly I wouldn't dissuade anybody who's really passionate about this from, from trying to take a shot at their dream. They're still past. They're still some of the best players in the world in DFS right now were people that were not playing five years ago. So they're, they're still past absolutely for that. But I think a lot of times the the idea of the dream is sold without kind of the reality of, of some of the challenges around the profession as well. Uh, Eric, he sold me. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just looking for an excuse to be antisocial full time, I think, is, is what you heard there that appealed to you. One divorce away. One divorce away. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. It's been great talking to you, Drew. Uh, really appreciate your time. I'll remind everyone that uh, if they go to at Drew Dinkmeyer on Twitter slash X, your pin tweet is where they can find all the information. There was also a very uh, long URL with slashes and dashes that they could follow. I'm not going to repeat all of that, mostly because uh, I can't remember it. But uh, definitely go on uh, Twitter and look him up and uh, check out that and hopefully contribute to the Welly Maker. Uh, Drew, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
We'll get to bagels and locks shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll. And the time has come to grade our MLB futures. Not all of them. There are individual player awards markets that we can ignore for a little while longer. But uh, we have four MLB bets to suck up and grade this week. They're all losers, including a couple of big ones. First, a medium-sized one. Uh, Mets fan Jeff got all excited before the season and bet on his loser team to win the World Series. Uh, We could have graded that one in June. We lost $100 there. I had a small loss on a bet that I view as a moral victory. I put 20 bucks at 60-1 to 1 on Corey Seager to lead MLB in hits. He had a great season, just couldn't stay healthy enough to have a shot at winning. Then I had two huge fake money losses. Uh, Marlins under 76.5 wins. I bet $275 on that. Kind of a disaster. Their 33-13 and 13 record in one-run games killed me. And midseason, I bet the Diamondbacks over 89 wins, chasing the expected Marlins loss. And uh, nope, lost another $230 there. So that all sucks. We lost $625 on MLB futures with more losses to come when the awards are announced. But on the bright side, we did well with last week's bets. Uh, my boxing bet taking advantage of bad pricing, Valine over Gassiev at plus 260 in a toss-up fight. Valine won a split decision. We won $260. I had $100 worth of small prop bets on the Canelo Charlo card. None of them won. We lost $100. Uh, Jeff, you split your NFL player props, lost 120 on the Mostert over, but won 100 on the Jamar Chase over, then lost another 50 on the parlay of the two props. You tried a wacky Bears-Broncos SGP that required first-half TDs from Fields and Mims. Lost 25 bucks on that. And my Moneyline parlay of the favored Vikings and underdog Bucks won. We won $141 on that. So we won $206 on last week's bets, but factoring in the MLB futures, it's a loss of 419 for the week. So we're now down by 2956. We have 2451 on hold in futures bets. That leaves us with $4,593 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, Jeff. All right. Uh, I'm coming in hot here, man. I've been playing scared lately. No more. No okay. more. All right. Texans money line over the Falcons, Jets money line over the Broncos, Ravens given four to the Steelers, Niners given three and a half to the Cowboys, hundred bucks plus fifteen eighty nine. Parlay it all together. Okay, hundred dollars at plus fifteen eighty nine. That is a that is a large amount of bankroll for a plus yes. fifteen eighty nine yep. long shot. But you're I'm coming uh... in. It's not a long shot. It's. It's a it's not a long shot. Well, Texans, <laughs> sixteen to one is technically a long shot. Nope, not a long shot. Okay. Texans are. A better team than the Falcons, period, full stop. Agree. Jets are a better team than the Broncos, period, full stop. Mm, Agree, but without a lot of conviction. Ravens, if the Steelers were named any other team besides the Steelers or the Cowboys, this would be a touchdown. This is pure, like, fandom right here. Okay, the counterpoint is these... AFC North divisional games are always close. Okay, not this one. Okay. <laughs> the Niners given three and a half to the Cowboys. I know this is on your card yes. also, so I'll let you handle it. But it, this is, I, I just I just think the Niners are just a better team, and so I'll, right. I'll 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 roll the dice there. I don't. That's honestly of all the of all the things here, that's the one I I, I like the least. Huh? I'll I'll come back to it later. Okay. All right. Well, that's a perfect segue because that's the one I like the most. That is my first uh, bet of the week. A straightforward NFL side. This may sound like a biased Eagles fan talking, but the Cowboys are overrated. Um, They're still getting that America's team love, and uh, the bookmakers will tell you that they aren't swayed by someone being a public team, but I'm sorry, the Cowboys should not be mere three-and-a-half-point underdogs in San Francisco. The Niners are actually one of the NFL's elite teams. Uh, To me, there's a clear top four right now, in, in whatever order you like, it's Niners, Chiefs, Bills, Eagles. Those are the top four teams in the NFL. And then there's a noticeable drop off before you get to the next tier, which includes the Cowboys, Dolphins, maybe Ravens, maybe even Lions. Um, The Cowboys have played a ridiculously soft schedule to open the season three and one. Giants suck. Jets suck, even if maybe they're better than the Broncos. Cardinals, not as bad as everyone expected, but still crappy and winless other than beating the Cowboys. So I will say they suck and the Cowboys lost to them anyway. And then the Patriots, they suck. Uh, Congrats, Cowboys. You're three and one against four teams all ranked in the bottom 10 of ESPN's power rankings. The 49ers should be about a five or five and a half point favorite at home against a team that's a tier below them. We're getting an extra one and a half to two points just because of the name Cowboys. And uh, I locked it in at minus 105 juice at DraftKings on Wednesday. 
so 105 to win 100, 49ers minus three and a half. All right, I like it. Uh, I got two futures I want to put here together. I'm not parlaying them, but I I, I, I want to bet them. First okay. one, just 25 bucks on the lines at plus 1,800 to win the Super Bowl. Okay. Their defense is legit. Their offense is legit. I think they're legit. Uh, you know, they play the Niners in San Francisco in a championship game scenario. I mean, they're going to be dogs, obviously, you know, all, all things being equal. But I don't know. I, they're good. They're just good to the line. So I, I just 25 bucks. Okay. And then here's one that I know you would never do yourself, but 50 bucks at plus 700. Give me those those lunatic Philadelphia Phillies to win the World Series. They're down to plus 700, huh? Yeah. I, it's not a bad bet. They are. I mean, everyone's been saying this all season that since seeing them last year in the postseason, that they're the kind of team that's built for postseason yep. success because they have a couple of aces and a bunch of huge bats that can get hot at the same time. So, yeah, I think honestly, after the Braves, I think they should be like if they were in the AL, I think they would be the favorites in the AL. Yeah, you may be right. Um, all right. I'm, uh, so let's, you know, they got to get through the Braves first, which is not right. Easy, right. No, it, it's certainly not, but they, they bumped them off last year and, yep, uh, yep. yep. Nope. I'm excited. They, they got, they got past the round that we needed them to get past as Phillies fans to feel satisfied, uh, that, that they've, you know, at least done what they're supposed to do. And, uh, and now we get the fun of, uh, trying to bump off the Braves. So there you go. Uh, for my next bet, I wanted to do a player prop, same game parlay on Rams Eagles, Based on the fact that nobody can run against this Eagles D, I was going to do Kyron. Is it Kyron or Kieran? Do we know how he pronounces nobody it? Knows. Nobody, nobody knows. knows. I'm going to say Kyron. Kyron Williams rushing yards under and Matt Stafford passing yards over. Uh, but a lot of the individual props for this game aren't up yet, I guess, because of uncertainty about whether Cooper Cup will indeed play. So weirdly, we don't have any Williams props available, but we do have Stafford's passing yards at DraftKings and BetMGM. It's 277 and a half at both books, minus 115 on the over at MGM, but plus 100 on the over at DraftKings. So, um, again, you have to pass against the Eagles because their run defense is too good. Stafford may have both Cup and Nakua to throw to, and if no Cup, he's still proven he can get the ball to Nakua, Atwell, etc. Quarterbacks against the Eagles so far this season. Three of four have put up big yardage. The outliers, Baker Mayfield, just uh, 146 yards. But Sam Howell, 290 last week. Kirk Cousins, 364. And even Mac freaking Jones, 316. If the Eagles get a lead, Stafford will have to throw, and he'll be able to accumulate yards. So no same game parlay, just a boring old regular single prop. Stafford over 277.5 yards, $100 to win 100. All right. Um, I want to come back to the Jets and Texans, okay? Okay. Again, money line, and I'm going to add the Cardinals, another underdog to this card, another parlay, another hundred bucks plus nine thirty three. I know I'm being, I, I, this isn't smart, but I don't care. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm determined. Again, Cardinals are are at home against the Bengals, three mm. point dogs. I, I'm just going to take the money line here. I, the Cardinals have been playing really good football. They have. Um, Dobbs is like playing really good football at quarterback. Mm-hmm. They're. The Bengals are broken. It seems. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, I don't know. I, I just. I. I. I really believe that the Texans, Jets, and Cardinals should be favored in all of these games, and okay. they're all underdogs. So I'm taking the money line. Yeah. There you go. I don't. I don't dislike it. I. I think that. Uh, yeah. They each. They will all. Will we go three for three? The odds no. say. The odds say no. Right. But each one individually makes some sense, and we're getting over nine to one. If it. If it does happen to happen. Um. Yeah, I got news for you. If I win both these big parlays, we're almost at back to even. There you go. Which is, All right. Which is back to even is going to be on my gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, all right. I am finishing the bets with an MLB playoffs bet. Um, and uh, brace yourself for some science here, Jeff. Uh, my son, who follows baseball more closely than I do, he like knows all the players on all the teams. Uh, he said going into the playoffs that he liked the Twins. And uh, after they indeed won game one over the Blue Jays before completing the the two-game sweep uh, yesterday, he said that he thought they can beat the Astros. And um, look, you shouldn't have to twist anyone's arm to get them to root against the Astros. So uh, Twins are as high as a plus-122 dog to win the series. Just a mild dog, but, you know, I shopped it around. The first price I saw was plus-114, but kept looking, found them as high as plus-122. So plus-money to root for the Astros to fail. Could I name three players on the Twins? No, I could not. 
Doesn't matter. Hundred dollars to win one twenty-two. Minnesota takes this best of five series. All right, and we wrap things up with bagels and locks. And Jeff, it's one thing for us to each start off one and zero. You know, if everything is a coin flip, there's a twenty-five percent chance we're going to do that. But both starting off two and zero. That's a one in sixteen shot. But here we are. Uh, You had the over in Broncos Bears and crushed it. I had under 200 and a half yards for Lamar against the Browns. Did not crush it, but uh, he had 186. A win is a win. Uh, I'm 2-0. You're 2-0. These are actual locks. The only bagels are the ones on the right side of our records. The zeros that look like bagels. Get it? Uh, Yeah, I get it. Sure. (laughs) We're unstoppable, Jeff. So what is your lock of the week for this week? Brees Hall over 54 and a half rushing yards. Okay. It's, I mean, I've, the, the, you read in, uh, they said he's being unleashed, no more restrictions. They're playing Denver with, I mean, we saw, we've seen, we continue yes. to see what offenses are doing to Denver. Yeah. I mean, Hall could knock this out on, you know, I mean, any running back could knock it out on one carry. Hall is probably number one or two of running backs that can do that currently. So yeah, 54 and a half yards seems 20 yards too low. So yeah. there it is. All right. I like it. That is that is a lock and I will be placing a bet on it as soon as we uh, finish with this recording. Um, My lock of the week should be fairly obvious. I don't usually double up on my locks and my bets like this, but my lock is 49ers minus three and a half at home against Dallas. The 49ers are legit outstanding. They they scare me a bit as an Eagles fan. Uh, Too many weapons for this Cowboys team. They also happen to have the far better head coach. They're covering the three and a half. It's a lock. There it is. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to this week's guest, Drew Dinkmeyer. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and Jeff at Jeff Edelstein and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, Jeff, please take us out. All right, Patrick Mahomes, uh, he slid Sunday night, and Chiefs mm-hmm. betters, of which there were approximately 33 trillion of them, uh, lost their mind. Uh, nearly killed Jeff Benson out at Circa. I, I, you know, he's <laughs> a poor guy. You know, listen, if Mahomes scores, the Chiefs would be up by 10 with a minute and change left on the clock, leaving room, albeit highly unlikely, for the Jets to score, recover an onside kick, score again, blah, blah, blah. But because he slid, the game was over. Jets couldn't get the ball back. The end. It was 100% the correct thing for Mahomes to do. Anyone bitching about getting their money back should just stop immediately. Listen, sportsbooks want to give bad beat refunds. Go ahead. I don't care. But this wasn't a bad beat. This was the Chiefs barely holding on for a win. I don't even think it's a beat. There's no. it, Never mind a bad one. Uh, it's just a loss. Like, you gamble, you lose sometimes. The end. There was nothing, nothing that indicated to me that anyone should be getting their money back here. So, gamble on, period, exclamation.